0: What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, February the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the coaching staff pressers, another big profile addition to the front office, the schematics of Chad O'Shea's offense, and a breakdown of Miami's two weekend acquisitions on the field. We've got a busy, busy Sunday slash Monday show for you guys. Let's go ahead and fly through the housekeeping really quickly. If you have not subscribed to the podcast or left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher tuned in wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and do that for us. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, getting closer and closer to 10,000 follows. That's the goal before the season starts. Also the show at Locked on Fins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys will not find more better content than what we did this weekend or every single day on LockedOnDolphins.com. We have news writers on staff. So your news, your analysis, your video breakdowns, everything about this Miami Dolphins team, LockedOnDolphins.com is seriously your number one go-to source just as this podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network is the number one go-to source for your daily dose of your favorite sports teams. As we're about two months away from draft day, check out the Locked On NFL Draft and Draft Dudes Podcast, both part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and move things along here because we have a lot of content to get to on a busy, busy weekend down in Davie, Florida. That's another money. Up first on the docket today, the Dolphins add another huge profile name to the front office. They add two more championship rings via Reggie McKenzie, a new senior personnel assistant on the staff. He was responsible for drafting Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, and Derek Carr with the Oakland Raiders as the GM. And though just one of those guys remains on the Oakland roster and is probably the worst of the three, it just provides the the sample size for big changes for what previous regimes did there in Oakland. Because if you want to criticize Reggie McKenzie for Oakland's lack of success, it's also important to discuss the circumstances that surrounded him there down in the Bay Area. I mean, he took over for an antiquated, out-of-touch roster builder before him. Rest in peace, obviously. Then he was railroaded by John Gruden this year, but McKenzie was the one that orchestrated the organization's one good season, really, because they've been way worse than the Dolphins for the last two decades their one good season in the last two decades in 2016 when they went 12 and 4 that was McKenzie's roster that he had built and the fact is that he was a general manager candidate in the NFL this offseason and the fact that the Dolphins are able to obtain him in a senior personnel assistant role I mean, there are some heavy, heavy hitters in this front office as far as NFL respectability and credibility goes, and this is probably something you need to dance around in today's climate. I didn't want to tweet it out because it could be misconstrued that way, but I think it's worth noting the minority influence in this Dolphins front office and their propensity and willingness to kind of buck the trend of the quote unquote old boys club that has been perpetuating these stereotypes in the NFL, whether it's on the coaching staff or in front office positions and the Dolphins are going the opposite direction they're attracting some big big names who regardless of their skin color have been great at their jobs in the past I just think that it's more it's more inviting to the minority candidate right now in Miami and I think that's a great place to be both from a talent acquisition point but also on just the human decency scale as far as being an organization that is really trying to be on the right side of history with things. And I really, really commend the Dolphins for that. So while Miami is bolstering the decision makers as they embark on this rebuild coming up, the roster overturn has already begun as well. The Dolphins signed two players on Friday who, let's be honest about it, about what they are, they are camp invites, OTA invites, training camp invites, expecting them to make a significant impact. That's just not realistic. However, Tank Carradine is at least an intriguing name from what his profile was coming out of college and into the NFL. His biggest downfall has been the medical history. He played just one game last season. He played seven games in 2017. He tore an ACL back in college that dropped him from being probably a top 10 or 15 pick down to the 40th overall selection of the 49ers. But it's his fit in this scheme that gives you an idea of what the Finns are looking for at that spot. He's a rocked-up, solid 270 pounds. He has long, long physical arms. He can control the point of attack and hold up against the run. We're going to get into the coach's introductory press conferences here in the final segment of today's show. But one of the things that Patrick Graham, New Dolphins DC, said that he looks for in players up front is the eye discipline, which means two-gapping, and heavy hands. That means the ability to win the initial punch and displace the man across from you. And those are the things, I think, that Tank Carradine does best. In 2017, he was on the field for 116 run defense reps and 98 pass rush reps. With the Niners in 2016, the disparity was even greater at 123 run defense reps and 83 pass rush reps. He's a run defending five technique. That's what he is. He can also slide inside and play the four eye or the three technique as a defensive tackle. That's not to say though that his pass rush productivity hasn't been good because as a efficiency standpoint, it kind of has been. He got pressure on 12 out of 83 reps in 2016 and eight pressures on 98 reps in 2017. That falls in the 10 to 15% range, which is really good. So, I mean, he has been productive when he's been on the field. The problem is just that he hasn't been on the field enough in his career so far. And going back to what Patrick Graham said in his availability was he talked about how they want to win on first down and allow the pass rushers to get after the quarterback for two downs to pass rush on those two downs. And that's another thing that Carradine offers, the ability to win on first down and get the sub package guys out onto the field. If he can just stay healthy, he's going to be one of the base defensive ends in this defense, maybe rotational, maybe a starter, but probably a 50% snap type of guy that gets you plenty of work and gets you into those pass rushing downs. Now, the other signing was a much lesser known Jamal Wiltz the Iowa State product from 2017 undrafted to the Philadelphia Eagles and two interesting notes on Wiltz before we turn the page to the offensive breakdown in segment number two is number one he worked under Patriots cornerback coach Josh Boyer and Boyer is now in Miami we all know that and he's also well known for his work with undrafted free agents like Malcolm Butler and like JC Jackson last year in New England and bringing Wiltz in had to have been a handpicked decision by Josh Boyer to maybe make him their next project at the position and then as a side number two and this piggybacks off the first idea wilts doesn't fit the normal cornerback prototype that miami typically adheres to Now we know that X, Xavier Howard, is a physical specimen of sorts, over 6 feet tall, 200 pounds. Cornell Armstrong, the 6th rounder from last year, is a big physical corner in that same mindset. And Jamal Wiltz is 5'10", 180 pounds. And this to me proves that they're willing to go away from their prototypes and hopefully that means they'll do it at quarterback too. I'm sorry, you know I had to get it in, Kyler Murray. It wouldn't be a Locked on Dolphins podcast without a mention of Kyler Murray, but if you want to see more of these data points and video clips of Tank Carradine, go check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the entire breakdown of him, as well as the piece on Reggie McKenzie, but also a pair of projects more than a week in the making. Kevin Dern's defensive film study is up right now, and so is my offensive film study, which I couldn't be more excited to talk about. We'll do that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. chances of lots and lots of Queen on the podcast coming up are very high as I just watched the Bohemian Rhapsody movie which I thought was pretty good but just going back and listening to all the Queen hits it makes you realize how great that band really was and I gotta say I'm really kind of on a Queen kick right now so get used to it here on the podcast probably gonna hear plenty of that throughout the week. But now I want to jump into something that I've been working on for a couple of weeks now. I've been doing the State of the Roster series, which will continue tomorrow with the linebackers here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But my side project, my general overlapping theme project has been studying this Patriots offense from last year and what we might be able to expect from Chad O'Shea coming down to Miami with this offense. And we all know the Earhart and Perkins scheme is what they're going to bring, but what exactly does that mean? The e system is the most ran offense in the NFL, although it does have plenty of different variations based off of the primary concepts, which were created back in the 80s by the New York Giants. And the original idea was try to simplify the passing game to make it more running game based and simplify the reads of the quarterback, making him more effective in that way. But what they realized was those simplified passing concepts allowed the quarterback to be the master of the line of scrimmage and the orchestrator of the offense. So the entire system builds around the quarterback and that's the first principle of the ENP scheme. You can find this entire piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Right now, by the way, I have video breakdowns showing you each of these examples for the Patriots last year and what the Dolphins could do this year going forward. But number one, it builds the scheme around the quarterback. And rather than distributing the responsibility to the skill players, giving them side adjustments and different things they have to do, adapting their route concepts, everything comes back to the most important player on the field, the quarterback. And these route combinations are designed to attack a specific coverage, which leaves it up to the quarterback to find that coverage, get them into the right play pre-snap and go from there. Number two, streamline verbiage. This is how you get into two-word play calls opposed to the antiquated version of barking out 20-word play calls that gives everybody's assignment on top of the play call, which is really derivative and redundant throughout the course of the entire offensive personnel package. The ENP condenses play calls and makes it easier to communicate at the line of scrimmage and in the quarterback's helmet. And number three, the simplistic adaptability. Like I said, you can use one word to define an entire route combination, which is the role of either two or three players to the side of the field, depending on the four formation and the balance. The ENP just expedites the process of changing the play at the line of scrimmage and allows the team to adjust its coded calls because all these calls are codes the team makes themselves and they can adjust it on a week to week basis or even on a drive to drive basis within the game if the defense has picked up on what they do. And while this does make the quarterback the focal point of the offense, that doesn't mean the running game takes a back seat because frankly, the running game is just as important in the ENP scheme as the passing game is. And a reason for that is because the fluidity of the communication allows the quarterback to come to the line of scrimmage with multiple play calls in his back pocket, usually four of them. And the route combinations stay the same based upon motions or pre-snap shifts. And the running plays he has available are designed to attack a lighter box if the defense wants to back off. And there's a great example of the Patriots doing that in the Super Bowl against the That Los Angeles Rams and you go into this running game what the Patriots have been able to do as far as making their hole better than the sum of its own parts they'll find situations where they can run the ball where typically you would think that's going to be a passing down and I put some examples up on the site on LockedOnDolphins.com of the Patriots converting short yardage runs at 3rd and 4, but also a 3rd and 11 situation just based on what they see with the defense pre-snap in the shifting and motioning. And Brady can make a check and has the autonomy to make that call and to run the ball for a first down. So the running game, very, very important. Keeps them on track, on schedule, ahead of the chains. And again, going back to the simplified verbiage, it allows them to remain multiple, yet similar in their formations and their pre-snap looks. And I talked about that Super Bowl game, their lone touchdown drive. Featured pretty much four of the exact same plays with the same personnel packaging. They just dressed it up to look different to confuse the Rams defense, which it totally did because the Rams found themselves in different coverages without any idea of how to defend this particular attack, using multiple plays with double seam routes up the middle, double hitches on the outside, and then giving Julian Edelman a two way go on the inside to attack a linebacker. Again, those videos up on the piece on LockdownDolphins.com. They also are going to want to use the running backs in the passing game as much as anybody else. And that's why I think Kenyon Drake and Caleb have a chance to really flourish in the scream in the scheme rather, but also to go out and find a third back that can do just the exact same thing, be a receiving threat out of the backfield in the passing game. Maybe somebody that can flex out and run routes from the slot, from the plus split, like a miles Sanders out of Penn state, a running back that acts also as a wide receiver is going to be a crucial part of this offense and building in the vertical shots based upon previous looks that you've shown the defense throughout the course of the game. And a good example to describe this is think about a two tight end package with two tight ends lined up to the strong side of the formation and you run the ball that direction and you bring one of the tight ends back across the formation, which constitutes a split zone run. And you have that tight end clean up the backside with a block to basically create that space for the running back to pick his lane. But then you run that a couple times, and then you can sneak that tight end away from that block into the flat, and you can boot the quarterback and throw the ball to him. That's kind of the idea here. The Patriots offense does that with the vertical shots down the field. There's a great clip of the Super Bowl two years ago with Chris Hogan, where they set the play up to basically give Hogan a one-on-one. They fake the in-cut, which is the route they ran all game long against this. Look, he fakes the in-cut, takes off upfield and hits them for a 60-yard pass completion. There's another example in this video up on LockedOnDolphins.com where Kenny Stills, from a split formation to the boundary, runs an out route. The cornerback takes the cheese and bites on it. He whips that route up the sideline for a touchdown. That was back in the 2016 game, Dolphins at Patriots. So kind of the same idea. You show the defense one thing over and over again, and then you can attack them deep based upon their own tendencies. It's all about tendency breaking and taking advantage of what the defense sees and what the defense is lacking on their side of things. And then, of course, those pesky slot receivers, the way the Patriots used Julian Edelman in that spot, Danny Amendola previously. Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant have a great chance to make a lot of big plays in this offense and make plays after the catch. They'll design things to get them open, whether it's on the boundary, across the middle. It's all about getting off that release cleanly and then making a play. I think both of those guys can do that role exceptionally well. Again, this entire thing is up on LockedOnDolphins.com. If you guys want to see a better video breakdown of it, you can check that out. But I'll end it with this final word right here. The success of this offense falls on the shoulders of the quarterback. So the Dolphins are going to have to identify a sharp, accurate quarterback to exec- execute execute the scheme rather. And if they can find that guy, it allows them to be adaptable to other players to fit the other players' skill sets and have this offense really, really take off. But I think what they're going to really prioritize is Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores finding their quarterback they want to have run the scheme because everything else is irrelevant until they find that. Okay, we've also got Kevin Derns inside the film room. Dolphins' new defensive scheme up on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys can check both those out in conjunction, whether it's Sunday night watching some HBO Monday morning at work, a little bit slow. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have everything for you guys up there. And speaking of that, next on the podcast here, we're going to talk about my piece up on LOD.com, the takeaways from the coaching staff's first media availability, as everybody on staff besides Brian Flores spoke to the media on Friday. We'll cover all that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkville NFL at LockedOnFins. Friday down in Davie, Florida was something of a first day of school for the coaching staff, at least if you want to call them the faculty, as the students have not yet arrived. But the Dolphins coaching staff was in full force in Davie to meet with the media for conference calls, press conferences, all the fun stuff, giving us information on what they might have in mind for this Dolphins team going forward from a roster building standpoint from an evaluation standpoint, and also the main thing everybody talked about, their culture, ideas, as far as how to best build a winning organization in Miami. And that was the number one thing everybody talked about in reference to Coach Brian Flores, this culture he's going to instill. And I know it's going to fall on deaf ears because we've heard it before with Adam Gaze. Hell, that was the entire theme of the 2018 season, the rebuilding of the Dolphins' culture. But this one feels more genuine in terms of the coaches kind of being all on the same page, working towards the same common goal, and they all spoke about it. And a lot of these coaches gave us a big nothing burger, especially the coordinators on both sides of the ball. And Danny Crossman, special teams coordinator, nothing in his entire media availability was was enticing by any stretch of the imagination. Jim Caldwell was kind of the same way, the Dolphins' assistant head coach. Brian Flores already spoke to the media, so he was not included in this, but Chad O'Shea was up first and he talked about kind of some of the things that they might look for in a quarterback or the vision for his offense. And he just talked about having a foundation and core beliefs, but the key is to do what your players do well and we talk about being multiple. That's something that's going to be You're going to hear that phrase throughout every one of these coaches' pressers being multiple and being able to do multiple things on the offense and on the defense. As far as the traits he wants at a quarterback, he referenced intangibles, leadership, and work ethic because you can mold your offense around the physical traits but as long as you have those three things at least this is what i take from it as long as you have those three things he can work with you as a player and as a quarterback so that was very impressive to hear defensive coordinator patrick graham talked about the fact that he wants guys to be multiple again heavy hands the eye discipline Graham will call the plays on defense, so Brian Flores will not have double duty in the way Adam Gaze did. Flores will manage the game and allow Graham and O'Shea to call the plays. As far as sub-packages goes, he talked about the NFL all being about matchups and personnel, and it's based on the trends in the league. So to me, this says no more Kiko Alonso on 3rd and 12, covering Julian Edelman down the middle of the field. So hopefully some of those old habits will die. I talked about Crossman having nothing substantial to say. The same story for Jim Caldwell, assistant head coach, but quarterback's coach Jerry Shaplinsky had a nice note talking about his work with the Patriots young quarterbacks and how basically Brady had, you know, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels in his corner as guys that he could converse with. And as the assistant quarterback's coach, Shaplinsky was really more tasked with the idea of developing the younger quarterbacks like the Jimmy Garoppolo's like the Jacoby Brissett's and he says he was fortunate enough to develop those or to draft those guys work with them develop them and teach them his system and he thinks that's an area he is very confident in which he's going to get a young quarterback either this year or next year he's going to get the guy quote-unquote so it's good to know that he has experience in working with young players and developing them. Shaplinski was also asked about his traits at the quarterback position. He again said, "I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one thing, and that goes for the team and the position, but we are looking for tough, smart, and dependable guys that can handle a lot of thing, a lot of things. You want a guy that can play under pressure and perform well under pressure." And then they also asked about the needs of a mobile a mobile quarterback in the NFL. He says, "Quote, I don't have a feeling one way or the other. You need a guy that can function well in your scheme, pocket passer or a guy that can that can break the pocket either way is fine with me. So again, the same theme, finding guys that are talented and molding your scheme around what they do well. And then next up was a coach that was here last year, running backs coach and running game coordinator, Eric Studsville. And he was giving you nothing until they asked about Kalen Bellage And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Studsville actually recruited Belage back when Studsville worked at the University of Colorado and Belage was a high school running back in Colorado. There's a relationship there that predates college and the pros. And he said this about Belage. He's big, he's physical, he can run, he's athletic. I think he's maturing and growing. He has a lot of work to do, but his work ethic is tremendous. He's got a great personality and he comes in every day ready to work. I mean, you can't say more glowing things about a player than that entire rundown right there. I think Belage is going to have a big role in this offense right behind Kenyon Drake as a 1A, 1B type of offense. And then he talked about Frank Gore's future and he was very non-committal there. The thing with Frank is, let's get Frank healthy and then we'll see what's next for him. So it seems rather dubious as far as Gore returning to Miami. Wide receivers coach Carl Dorrell, he didn't talk much about anything other than the fact that he likes the diverse skill set of his receivers. Whether he's got a six foot two guy or guys under five feet, they're all explosive and a dynamic group that he's excited to get a chance to help them and work with them. Offensive line coach Pat Flaherty had maybe the most enticing comment of the entire day. Talked about how they want to retain Juwan James for the continuity and how good of a football player he is. And then Flaherty provided another great soundbite aside from the offensive line and they asked about how... They have gone about helping each other in their new roles on this offensive staff. And Flaherty said, we all interject because we're all putting together the playbook together right now. So it's no more of this one-man dictatorship role like Adam Gaze doing his thing and then kind of bouncing ideas off other guys to get constructive criticism. It's a collaborative effort, which is a change from last year tight ends coach George Godsey again gave you absolutely nothing defensive lines coach Marion Hobby talked about guys they're looking for that are multiple and they want guys that give great effort both on the field and in the classroom and then another great comment about rotating players through the defensive line he says quote you want your best guys out there in certain situations but it's the offense's goal to wear down the best guys so sometimes the backup is just as important as the starter we need to build depth and this has been an issue in Miami for a long time because you put Cam Cameron Wake or Robert Quinn on the bench, you bring in Andre Branch or Charles Harris, and all of a sudden your defense is just not that good because your best players are on the bench. And that's what offenses want to do. They want to attack you and wear those guys down and get the rotational guys in there. And then you can have your success that way because Cameron Wake's not breathing down your neck anymore. So finding depth on the defensive line is going to be a key. Linebackers coach Rob Leonard had some great sound bites as well. They asked him about Raquan McMillan. He said that Raquan is a physical, tough guy, and he can run and hit. And one of the themes of playing linebacker in today's NFL is the ability to run, hit, and cover. Raquan does not do that particularly well. We know that, but he is getting close to being an elite run defender, working downhill, identifying his run fits, and being physical at the point of attack. Very excited to see what Raquan McMillan can do in this new defense. New cornerbacks coach Josh Boyer. We talked about him previously he is definitely from the Patriots past because he gave you nothing in his about 1000 words of a transcript nothing at all in there very impressive in that right and lastly safeties coach Tony Oden talking about Minka Fitzpatrick and how he has so much to learn but the good news about Fitzpatrick is he's more than willing to do it he was praising Minka Fitzpatrick in this presser and you can understand why he would Fitzpatrick obviously going to be the linchpin of this defense as the Dolphins move forward so again plenty of surface level interactions some quality telling nuggets in this bit nonetheless the vision and the philosophies all aligned the culture being a team first mentality all of these thoughts are perpetuated throughout the entire staff so I think in that way Flores has assembled a quality credible staff around him that can help not only their own careers but better the careers of everybody else around them I think we're on the right path with the coaching staff and with the front office who knows we'll see if it all works out but at least they're all aligned in their vision, which really hasn't been the case here in the past. All right, that is going to do it for this busy Monday edition, early release Sunday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Once again, you guys can find all this written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com, including Kevin Dern's defensive breakdown as he charted plenty of Patriots defensive looks last year and talked about scheme fits and what positions we can look to address in the upcoming free agency and the draft. And as always, if you guys have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and get it pulled up instantly. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.